following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motoke Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. If you got your Bibles there, turn to chapter 7 of Romans. Romans chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 7 down to verse 13 together today. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 to 13. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good was then that which was made death unto me God forbid but sin that it might appear sin worketh death in me by that which was good, that by sin, by the command, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Praise the Lord for His Word. Turn your Bibles this morning. We'll be in Romans chapter seven together. Special thank you to those who are at the sound table today. I don't know if you'd noticed, but uh, they're learning, and it's a privilege to have folks learning at the table, and so thankful for their investment and help in the church ministries. In Romans chapter 7, there's an overarching theme as we come through Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7. I think it's the same theme, follows through both chapters. That theme is namely this, shall we sin that grace may abound? On one side we see it's a logical question for a logical sin-hating person cannot figure out how is it that if I sin more, God's grace is more. How can I do that? How does that work? On the other side, illogical, sin-loving people would be saying, oh well, this gives me license to continue to sin. So he has taken, Paul has taken two chapters to help us to understand that we do not have to live in sin. This is not a problem that unbelievers face. Unbelievers don't care. I might just pause there and give you a moment to reflect on your own life. If you can just sin and it does not bother you, I would begin to ask whether or not the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. If you can just sin and it doesn't disturb you, you don't worry about it, examine yourself, whether you be in the faith or not. But a believer as he looks at himself against the holy standard of God Almighty, realizes, I'm still a sinner. 
I still see myself as a sinful man. Listen, if you're a believer for the rest of your life, you will struggle with sin. You will not reach sinless perfection. But there should be sinning less projection. You should be getting better sinning less Hating sin more. That should be a continual growth in your life. And as we've called it over the last few weeks, your sanctification should be working towards that way. There's a difference between what God has done at salvation, that's your pardon for sin. There's a difference between your pardon for sin and your freedom from sin. Those are two very different things. I received a pardon for my sin Jesus died on the cross and I put my trust in Him. But the truth of the matter is, for the rest of my life, I will work to be free from sin. It will be a struggle. It will be a battle. And yet, in this passage, Paul has given us some ways that we will change our minds. Be be remembering this. Romans 12, verse 1. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It happens in your mind. I have to realize that I'm dead to sin. Anybody that says that they're not a sinner is a liar. They're making God a liar. You might remember 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. We say that we have no sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, brothers and sisters, this morning, remember you are a sinful person Still, even though you are a believer, you've been pardoned for for your sin, you're still working towards freedom from it. Don't give up. As we've seen in chapter 6 and chapter 7, there are some ways that I can think differently that will help me. So I might just give this question, how do I stop living in sin? How do I stop living in sin? I'll give you three answers that have been seen in chapter 6 and chapter 7. How do I stop living in sin? The first one was from chapter 6 and verse 2. You are dead to sin. You're dead to sin. Look at it in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live there any longer? And he gives that question in verse 3. No, you're not. Don't you know that if you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into His death? So I want you to remember these words, in Christ are tremendously important for your salvation and your sanctification. He saved me and He put me in Christ. And now that I'm baptized into Christ, I'm in Christ, I'm now dead to sin. I'm dead to it. Sin will come with its ugly at the core and pleasurable for a season at the face. Sin will do its best to try to lure you in. You don't say, sin, you're dead to me. No, I'm dead to you. And so if you're going to use me, you've got to pick up my dead corpse and use my dead body, rotting body, as a puppet. You're dead to sin. Then he gave another one in chapter 6 and verse number 16. You get to choose who you're going to follow. If you're a believer, you get to choose that. That's your option. See it in chapter 6 and verse number 16. Know you not? There's that question again. Don't you know? That to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey His servants, you are to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. You get to pick. As a believer, oh friend, you get to pick. Unbelievers don't get to choose. They are slaves to sin. And now as a believer, you get to choose. You've been given the freedom. You're dead to sin. And so when sin comes along, you don't have to follow it. That's a promise you 
get to choose. And if you choose sin, you're headed to death. And the fruit of it, shame. That's chapter 6 and verse number 21. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? In the end of it, death. But if you choose instead to follow after Christ, be a servant of God, there will be a fruit which is righteousness and the gift of God, everlasting life, verse 23. So we have how can I stop living in sin? I reorganize the way I think. It's a mental paradigm shift. One, I'm dead to sin. Two, I get to choose who to follow. Three, I'm also dead to the law. And we saw that last week, chapter 7, verse number 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. I'm in Jesus. I'm in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I'm dead to the law. I'm dead to sin and I'm dead to the law. And that comes again on the heels of that very same question that he gives in chapter 7 and verse 1. Know you not, brethren? Don't you know that the law only has dominion over a man as long as he lives? And so if I'm dead to the law, the law has no power over me. Remember that the strength of sin is the law. So three times now in chapter 6 and 7, we've seen that we can be free from sin. It does not have to rule over you. And in a minute, we'll continue into chapter 7. We'll dive into that passage. But can I take just a few moments this morning and speak some hope into your life? I want to speak some hope into your life, brothers and sisters. Because I believe that so many Christians live day after day, month after month, year after year, being drawn back and besought with besetting sin. I promise you, the Scriptures speak hope. There's hope to be found in the Scriptures. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You don't have to be. There's freedom to be found in the Gospel. For the Gospel transforms lives. That is not just for your eternity. Please, friend, what good does it do me if I get to say, oh, I'm going to be free from sin in eternity? What good does that do for me from the time I trust Christ until the time I die? What good is it? I need everlasting life to begin long before I die. And that's what He's promised. Oh, so often I hear people speak and I've thought the question myself. Is perhaps besetting sin something that will continue with me until I die? Recently heard someone ask this question. He said, if you think back to Paul talking about his thorn in the flesh, the question that he asked was, is it perhaps the thorn in Paul's flesh was that perhaps his besetting sin? And I would say wholeheartedly, no. God doesn't give you grace to work through besetting sin. He gave His Son Jesus to free you from sin. You can be freed from sin. Oh, He never intended for you to continually be struggling. He has promised you, you are dead to it. You can choose to not serve it. This is a promise that comes. Let me share with you the one single verse that says anything about besetting sins. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He never told us, set it down and then try to set it down again and try to set it down again. No, just set it down. Run. Look to Jesus. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh unto God. Speak hope, brothers and sisters. You can choose not to sin. That's transformed by the Gospel. You see, the cross, you can understand, I'm in Christ. Christ died on the cross for my sin. No longer do I have to live in it. It no longer has any rule over me. Jesus went to the cross for your pardon for sin, and He went to the cross for your freedom from sin. I'll give you a string of Bible passages that might help you see that Christ died so that you can live free from sin. And I'll just give a quick note to the guys at the back table. If you want to jump to 1 Peter chapter 2.24, we're going to run from there. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, here you go. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. Oh, what a promise. He took our sin on the cross That was not so that you would go to heaven and stay out of hell. That's not the point. Oh, you get that. But the point is, so that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. Your life will be different. Stop trying to live the law. It won't work. We'll get that in a few minutes in Romans 7. Stop trying to live the law. It won't work. No, I'm in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I'm dead to sin. And now I'm going to live with righteousness. And those very things that I sought after by living, trying to live the law, those very things are now going to start popping out as the fruit of the Spirit is going to come out in my life. As I start walking after Jesus, here's another one, Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 4, who gave himself, that's Jesus, he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. That's not hope for eternity, that's hope for today. Guys, you can live, you can choose to live by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who is in you, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and with your spirit, which are Christ. The verse that we quote so often, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God's making a change, the great exchange here. I've got another 30 years to live if God sees fit, and I pray that these next 30 years will be lived out in righteousness. Not in slavery to sin. He's promised you don't have to be ruled by sin. So I might ask you this morning, are you in Christ? For if you are in Christ, you get that freedom. Oh, I'm in Him. As it were, dead on the cross. All my sin, dead. I'm dead to sin. And as we saw last week, 7 verse 4, dead to the law so that I might be married unto God. Christ, the one who is risen from the dead, so that I can bear fruit unto God. It's a beautiful picture. I might draw your attention again back to chapter 6 and verses 11, 12. Verse 11, likewise reckon yourself. That's a mind thing. 
Reckon yourself. Consider yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And do not let sin, let not sin therefore reign over your mortal body, that you should obey it in the less thereof. Come down to verse number 18. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I leave servant sin. No longer am I sin's slave. Now I am God's servant. I'm serving Him. He owns me. I follow Him. I don't go back. No man can serve two masters. I don't go back to this one for a little while and go over to that one. Look down at verse number 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness in the end everlasting life. You see, Jesus Christ went to the cross so that you could be pardoned for sin and freed from sin. In fact, it's found in His very name. Matthew 1, verse 21. As the angel announces to Joseph, you need to name him Jesus. I want you to see the words that are spoken. Matthew 1, verse 21. He says, Mary shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, and listen to the depth of these words, for He shall save His people from their sins. Jesus isn't coming to get you freed from Rome. You've got a much bigger problem. He shall save His people from their sins. If you're in Christ, you are one of His people. And then two verses later, he steps back. The angel steps back and reaches to prophecy out of the book of Isaiah. And he grabs this prophecy. Here's verse 23, Matthew 1 and verse 23. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted as God with us. What was it that separated us from God? Sin separated us from God. And when Jesus, the God-man, comes and takes our sin away, guess what we get? God with us. When sin is taken away, you see, Jesus came to take the sin on the cross, and that affects so much more than your eternity. It affects your life today. You can be freed from sin. So please, church, listen. You do not have to live in it. There's freedom in the cross. And perhaps this morning you might be thinking, but pastor... I'm tired of living a slave to sin. And I'm praying. God, help these people to see they're freed from sin. You're no longer a slave, brothers and sisters. Think with me. For just a moment, the nation of Israel, I think the greatest picture of slavery in all of the Scriptures is the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus. 400 years they've been slaves. Those kids have grown up knowing nothing but slavery. And God takes a moment, turns their whole world upside down. And out they come. They see the miraculous. They go through the Red Sea. And there they are in the wilderness. It's been three days. And they find bitter water. You know what they want? They want to go back to being a slave again. Pharaoh's dead. His armies are dead. They're defeated. Brothers and sisters, you are freed from the slavery of sin. And I pray 
My heart this week, I have wept over this sermon. I pray, God, would you grasp our hearts and let us to see we are freed from the power of Satan and sin. We do not have to live under it anymore. I pray that God would let us to see that sin no longer rules over you. You are in Christ. And if you're struggling with believing this, the very same faith that saved your soul from hell and eternity separated from God is the very same faith that you can trust. The very same Word of God that you trusted is the very same Word of God that will save you from sin in this life. And so I pray that you'll grasp this concept. I'm dead to sin. And I'm alive to Christ. With that thought in mind, let's come to today's sermon in Romans chapter 7. We're going to be in chapter 7, verses 7 down to verse 13. There's a statement in chapter 7, verses 1 to 6 that he makes that might make you think that the law is a bad thing. He said, you're dead to the law. He says, we're delivered from the law. And you might think that perhaps the law is a bad thing. And so... He needs to clarify some issues. I title this sermon, Legal Malpractice. The meaning of legal malpractice is literally to use the law for the wrong reason. An attorney can be sent to prison for using the, raw, the law in the wrong way. Paul's going to make an argument in verses 7 to verse 13 that sin will use the law the wrong way. Let me show it to you in verses 7 and verse 8. First thing I want you to see this morning from this passage, he needs to clear up a misunderstanding about the law. So the law is not a bad thing. It's just been used in the wrong way. Look at verses 7 and verse 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. You see, you can use the law the wrong way. It can be misused. The purpose of the law, book of Galatians tells us, the purpose of the law is to point us to the need of a Savior. As a schoolmaster, bring us to Jesus. That's the purpose of the law. And yet, the law can be misused. In fact, sin misuses the law. See the wording in verse number 8. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. Sin's powerless without the law. The law comes in and gets misused by sin. Malpractice, if it were. John Piper uses an illustration for this of a surgeon with a scalpel. You know what a scalpel is. Scalpel, very sharp knife that they use in the operating theater. And the surgeon will use a scalpel, and it has a right purpose. You can just imagine a right purpose, the patient laying on the bed, as the surgeon will cut so very carefully, remove a tumor. The scalpel has a right purpose. But if the scalpel is in the hands of a rascal in the market holding up ladies, he's using the good thing for a wrong purpose. You see how a good thing can be used improperly. And the law has its right purpose in pointing us to the need of a Savior, 
And yet, sin will take, as sin as it were a man, sin will take the law and will do havoc in your life. I see very clearly two ways that sin will improperly wield the scalpel of the law, if we want to use that image. Two ways. One, sin will tell you you can't keep the law. It's useless. Sin will say, you can't do it. You might as well give up. And I might say that illogical, sin-loving people will embrace that lie. If you love your sin, you don't care about the Holy Spirit working in your life. You'll just follow sin's lie right down that path. And you'll say, well, there's no way that I could ever live up to this. Therefore, the law then is used improperly in your life to see, hey, look at all of these things you're supposed to do. And you'll just give up and say, I can't do it. I'll just live in sin. You might have gotten your golden ticket to heaven, or so you think, and you'll spend the rest of your life defeated. You won't even try. You might say, I am saved. I love Jesus. I prayed a prayer. But you don't know anything about victory over sin. You see, what sin has done is sin has taken that law and used it in an improper way. Malpractice. The other way I see that sin could use the law would be the exact opposite. Sin would say to you, see this list? You can do it. You can do it. And what that does is it creates in your heart a pharisaical way of living, self-righteous, where you go, see how good I am here, and look, I don't do that one, and I do this one. And you never will live up to 100%, but here's what happens with a Pharisee. A Pharisee will make it to about 70%. And then he'll turn a blind eye to the other 30%. He'll act as if that other 30% doesn't even exist. And he'll lift himself up and say, hey, look how good I am. You know what happens with a person who's self-righteous? He does not look at the holy standard of God Almighty, but instead looks at those people who he's around. I'm better than that one, and I'm better than that one, and I'm better than that one. Therefore, look at me. And that is also a dangerous lie that sin will tell you and use the law to do it. You see, the law had a purpose. Be very careful. The law is not sin. But sin knows how to misuse the law. Sin is a good, uh, sorry, law is a good thing. Look down at verse number 12. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. The law is a good thing. And yet sin will misuse it and draw you into further sinfulness. If I bring you back up to verse 7, he uses this illustration of sin misusing the law. Let me read it. Verse 7 and into verse 8. Verse 7. I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. That phrase, taking occasion by the commandment. The Greek word behind that phrase, taking occasion, is a word that is used often in military terms of a bridgehead. I'll just explain this. I think the only one in our room who would understand this, Phil would understand, just to say bridgehead. But it's a bridgehead. So you can just think there's a bridge there, and the soldiers of one side are trying to take the other side. They take the bridge. They don't want to just take the bridge. They need to take the bridge and the head. And then they need to protect that. And from that point, that's a new launching place where they can go. Paul says here, sin took occasion by the commandment. Sin worked its way into your heart and it did it by using the law. It came into your heart and it said, here, I'm going to take this 
foothold, give this space from which we will launch further attacks into your life. And maybe it does it from the one side as an illogical, sin-loving person. See, you'll never live up. Or from the other side, look at this, you can do it. Self-righteousness. But sin uses the law to grasp that foothold in your life. But then the example that he gives here, how does he do it? I had not known lust, he says in verse 7. I had not known lust except the law said, thou shalt not covet. And so here's what sin does. Sin comes along and says, hey, you are a God lover. If you're going to be a God lover, then you need to follow what God says. And see here it says, thou shalt not covet. And then just because it says, thou shalt not covet, in the very nature that you are a human, suddenly you want to defy the law of God. I'll give an example of this. We see this every year here in our school. We have children that come in somewhere three years old, four years old, when they come in the first few days, to them, it is absolute terror. To the teacher, there's moments of terror and moments of calm. To me, as the outsider, I find it comically hilarious. It's even funny sometimes to watch moms and dads as they bring a four-year-old on day one and mom is crying more as she walks out the door than Junior is in the classroom. (laughs) But the one that I most often notice is the one who is a single child, has no siblings. And the single child comes in and for the last three and a half years that child has had free sway to play with whatever toy he wants to at his house. He has this toy and he will play with it as long as he wants to. And when he sees that toy, he'll go take it and he'll play with it. And he's never had anybody tell him he has to share toys. He doesn't care about sharing. He doesn't know what it is. He has no idea what covetousness is. All he knows is, I play with this one, I play with that one, I play with this one. We might say he's a bit innocent. And then he comes into a classroom with 20 other children. And he sits down at his table and his teacher tells him, you pick a toy and you will play with your toy at your table. And Junior sits down with his toy and plays with his toy. But then he looks across the table and sees the other one has a toy. I don't like my toy anymore. I want that toy. And Junior throws this toy on the ground and reaches across to grab that toy. You know why? Because all of the sudden this new law, thou shalt not covet, has now come into his life. I never knew this was a bad thing. I could do whatever I wanted to. But now the teacher says, thou shalt not covet. Miss Janice laid down the law. It was not a bad thing. The law is not wrong in itself. And yet the human heart is so inclined that as soon as I'm told thou shalt not, my heart goes, but I want to. And I want that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. And the teachers can all attest that if you did give them this one, it doesn't matter. Those other ones are still waiting for their turn to be taken. Thou shalt not covet, he says. I had not known lust until the law said thou shalt not covet. And then look at what he says in verse 8. But sin taking occasion, that foothold in my life, by the commandment, wrought in me, made a work in me, in all manner of concupiscence. It's not a word we use every day concupiscence. There's this sincere desire of covetousness, and I'm just going to grab whatever I want and take it for myself. He says, sin took the law and misused it. Worked its way into my heart. 
He says, be careful. The law is not bad. Sin is. And sin misused the law. Sin will awaken within your soul a defiance against the law giver. We'll move into verses 9 through 11, and we'll see Paul as he is explaining his own personal experience with the law. So this is our second point here. Paul is explaining his own personal experience with the law. This is verses 9 to 11. Verse 9. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment. You see the same phrase again. Taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Perhaps this is some of Paul's own testimony as he's maybe grown up and when he was little he never realized that those laws were there. But at a greater image, I see Paul referring here to his relationship in Adam. And man, Paul has done this many times throughout the book of Romans. Look back to the garden. And if you want to know what it's supposed to be like, look back to the garden. He says, hey, look back to the garden when everything was right, there was perfection and there was a perfect relationship between God and man sin was not there and then he goes but then sin entered notice his words there in verse 11 for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me see this picture of I'm in Adam and there in the garden Satan comes in the form of the serpent and deceives and then because of sin slays me. All of us in Adam are slain by sin, but all of us in Christ are made alive. Oh, I hope that you can understand how important it is to be in Christ. The strength of sin is the law. The wages of sin is is death. Now look at verse number 10. The commandment which was ordained to life. We've already seen verse 12 that said that the law is good and it's holy and just. Here it says, verse 11, that, uh, sorry, verse 10, it says that the commandment was ordained to life. God gave the law to give life. That's what was, was meant by it. It was meant to bring life. I don't know if you remember this verse we've used before. This is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 and 16. It's, Moses stands before the people, second giving of the laws. He's about to pass away, and he says this, See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil. And that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. Live the way God wants you to live, you'll really live choose to live under sin, you'll have shame and death. There'll be nothing good coming along of your life. But you get the option. Then he says in chapter 30 and verse number 19, Moses says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you may, you and your seed may live. And you've got it there in Romans 6 and verse 22 fruit that comes about is living righteously, now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness in the end everlasting life. Sin wielded the law as a scalpel to cut you, to slay you, 
and yet it was meant to point us to the Savior. That brings us to the closing two verses. This is verses 12 and 13. And in these two verses, I see Paul just displaying the truth about sin and the law. So here comes the truth. Verses 12 and 13. Verse 12. Here's the truth about the law. The law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Verse 13. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. I don't know if you've seen that yet. He said God forbid twice in today's passage. He said it in verse 7, and he said it in verse 13. Verse 7. Is the law sin? God forbid. Verse 13, is that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. There was one other place that he used that phrase, God forbid. Should we sin that grace may abound? Romans 6, 1. God forbid. Never let it be so. But sin, that it might appear sin. Working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding Sinful. The law is holy, but sin has taken the law and done what it was never supposed to do. It awoke in me a desire to be even more sinful. So what has happened because of sin, taking the law? Sin has become exceeding sinful. We might use a different phrase. Doubly sinful. Worse than what it originally was. And as I look through the law and the way that man has broken the law you can see that it has been used in ways that was never intended. You see, the law was not supposed to give you the right to sin. No, it was supposed to help you to not sin. It was supposed to help you to see that Jesus is there and that you can hide in Jesus. And God's wrath will not be upon you if you're hiding in Jesus. There's a law in the Old Testament that says this, and we never talk about this law, but the law is this. Thou shalt not seethe the kid in his mother's milk. And for so long, I looked at that verse, I don't understand why. What's the big deal? I'm a Gentile, so it doesn't mean anything to me. In other words, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. He said, why would you do that anyway? Perhaps there were people that do that, but why would God say, don't do that? Here, because milk is not intended for that. The intention of milk is to give life, not to Boil your child. Was the law made for? Point you to Jesus. Not to condemn you to death. It was meant to bring you life. You take that scalpel and you commit murder with it. It's not what it was meant for. Thou shalt not steal. Keep your fingers. God made your fingers for a different reason. Namely, so that I could work and provide for myself. Romans 12 and give to others. That was what God made my fingers for. But if I go steal, I'm using these things that God gave me for the wrong purpose. Thou shalt not bear false witness. God gave me these lips so that I could praise Him, not so I could tear down others. Sin took the law, and by doing that, showed that it was exceeding sinful. So please, brothers and sisters, don't look at the law and its lies that will tell you you can or you can't. And please don't ever think, well, God saved me, so I'll be good to go. I'll just live in sin and grace will abound. Oh, no, that's not how it was intended. The law had a holy intention that was to point us to Christ. Friend, we don't need more rules. We need a Savior. Father, I pray that you would help us to not listen to the lies of the sin. Should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. 
Is the law sin? God forbid. Is that good thing which is supposed to bring me life now bringing me death? God forbid. Father, I pray instead that we would use the law for the way it was intended, namely to drive us to Jesus. And I pray that we would bask in the truth that Jesus has accomplished everything that was needed for us on the cross. Our freedom from sin, our pardon for sin. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts as we see ourselves hidden in Christ. So brothers and sisters, this morning before I close, I want to give you a moment to reflect. This is not a salvation sermon. This is a sanctification sermon. I wonder how you're doing in your sanctification. Oh, how often we give a salvation invitation. But can I change it up this morning? How you doing in your sanctification? Are you living in Christ? This morning, if you would say, Pastor, I need prayer. I'm not going to send anybody to you. But I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and I will pray for you, brothers and sisters. But if you would say, Pastor, I need prayer because I'm struggling with this understanding that I'm dead to sin, and sin keeps reigning over me, and I need to get out from underneath its rule. Would you just slip your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to send anybody to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Heavenly Father. Change the way we think. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that you'd help us to learn and love the fact that we're in Christ dead to sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ. I pray you'd give victory. Mindset that would be changed. Reckoning ourselves dead indeed unto sin. Not yielding our members unto unrighteousness, but yielding ourselves unto God. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.